focus on, on, on what the problem you're solving. So think about, you know, before thinking about the money, thinking about investors, thinking what's the product you really want to solve um, and, you know, make sure there's demand there. So that's, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, you know, product is there, there's a market for it and, you know, get that nailed down and have your data, have everything kind of, uh, you know, researched and prepared, be, be prepared. And, uh, and I think you'll, you'll do well from there. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we have another fun expert episode with Akil Jabber. And just as a quick introduction to what we're going to talk about, it's one of those uh, topics I think that uh, all or most startups, I don't know all, but a lot of startups and small businesses uh, get into, which is, you know, the questions around fundraising, what, what to look for, what others are looking for, how to position yourself, how do you set yourself up as an acquisition target, how to evaluate your company, maybe a little bit into marketing strategy for raising and or acquisitions, maybe talk a little bit about uh, SaaS companies and should you be one and should you shift to one and whatever other good uh, good topics that come to mind. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Akil. Thanks for having me today, Devin. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So now before we dive into kind of the top, our expert topic at hand, just to introduce yourself a bit to the audience, kind of let them know why you're an expert on this episode or why they should listen to what you have to say. Sure. Yeah. So just to give you guys a quick background, my background is actually, I was a petroleum engineer turned entrepreneur. So I actually started working in the, in the corporate office, you know, went through that entire journey of, you know, how can I quit my job? And, you know, for over six years, that was over six years ago. And here I am today, you know, focusing on, on my own ventures. And just to give you maybe a little summary of how I got here in terms of on the investment side, um, I actually started investing in the stock market as my kind of first way of making money on the money I saved. Um, after about, you know, two or three years of trading, and I realized that a lot of different, you know, faults of, of you know, focusing on, on stocks itself is I realized, you know, I had no control uh, at, the, at that point, you know, things could, could change overnight and you had no control of kind of the price. Uh, at that point, the public, it was already public. So it was also very super competitive. Um, and that's around the same time that I came across a book. I think you probably heard about it by Robert Kiyosaki, you know, the Cashflow Quadrant. Uh, rich dad, poor dad. And, and that's kind of where I learned the idea about, you know, building cash flow income to replace my active income, while also, you know, how to properly leverage debt to grow. Um, so, I, you know, I saved a bit of money at the time, bought some real estate in Canada, which I still own today. And, and you know, at that time, in my, I'm in my early 20s. And I said, you know, it's kind of slow for me, right? I'm making a few hundred dollars here on my cash flow. Uh, but I'm, I'm in my 20s. I need to accelerate this. I want to move fast, right? I'm impatient here. So I started lear learning about, you know, different ways of how can I, you know, uh, improve my investment. So, looks great, but I look at, you know, real estate more of like a 20 year or maybe kind of investment horizon. So um, I thought of investing in, you know, existing businesses. And I think that, you know, at that point we, we built and actually opened up, we have a franchise gym in Canada and that has similar to the SaaS business where you have that recurring re re membership revenue. Um, I like physical businesses. They're great, but they're super expensive if you want to scale. And you're also, you know, location dependent, right? So, you know, this gym is in Canada. If I want to operate, Another one, I've got to you know, invest half a million, a million dollars to open the next one, next one, next one. Um, and, I, and I look at that maybe like a five to 10 year investment. So it's a little bit quicker than real estate, but has higher risk, but still decent re rewards. Then I learned about, you know, online businesses. And I think that, you know, years ago, that's where I bought my first affiliate content kind of website from a, a marketplace called Empire Flippers. If you guys haven't heard about it, I think that one was making something like $2,000 a month at the time. 
but that's where I really got to learn about you know, how to monetize websites. You know, that's when the, the basics of SEO, how to run different conversion rate optimization tests. And, and that's where I got hooked. Uh, so that's when I quit my job six years ago. Uh, I joined a firm at that time. Uh, I moved from, you know, from Canada. They were doing what I really wanted to do, which was like, uh, you know, building a, a portfolio of larger businesses. So they were doing like seven figure acquisitions. Uh, that was a company called Wired Investors. Uh, so just got to learn the ropes to join them as the CEO of uh, $99 Social, how to manage, you know, bigger companies. And now, you know, two years ago, we found uh, Horizon Capital, and that's where we are today, uh, where we have, you know, slightly different approach of how we, we build our own portfolio. Awesome. And that's, a, I think it's a great introduction. Yeah, it gives people, or it gets, it gives people a chance to, to hear a little bit about why you know what you're talking about. So now with that, let's, uh, let's dive into it, because I mean, for not all companies, some companies, you know, fundraising is a big portion of or big effort for a lot of our startups and small business then for some it's fine some are self-funded some have a minimal amount of investment some you can bootstrap some you can do others but for a reasonable amount of startups and you know small businesses if it's a one that's more cash intensive it's going to take more to get up and running than you can self-fund or that you can do with friends and family or you know any number of reasons there are reasons why you would go out to get fundraising and fundraising can be everything from you know, crowdfunding, it can be friends and family rounds, it can be angel investors, it can be venture capital, it can be, you know, debt financing, or you can go, go out and get a loan, take a mortgage against your house. There's a lot of different ways, but if we're then focus in a little bit, and I think where you would be at was either probably either more on the angel investor or venture capital side, if people are looking to go that avenue as far as to, um, to do fundraising, what are some of the things that they should initially be looking at to position themselves to be successful in if they're initially looking to do a raise or to get or raise some funds for a whether it's a business idea or a, or a business that's already up and going they're wanting to grow and expand kind of what should they be doing to position themselves sure yeah so so just to clarify we don't do vc investing specifically it's a little bit slightly different in terms of valuation uh but you know let's just say you're looking to raise we do growth equity so we work with SaaS companies looking for growth equity or they want to get acquired so kind of a different uh Playground. So, yeah, let's yeah. pause right there. So for the for the audience that doesn't know what is growth equity or what's the difference between angel growth equity, venture capital, and kind of what should they be or what does that mean? Okay. So there's two, so let's start with growth equity. So growth equity is let's say I'm I'm running this business, I've been managing by myself, I've been kind of have some money, I have some partners working on it, but I need I don't want to sell my company, but I want to sell a minority stake, let's say 20-30%, somebody to come in and I sell my shares. And I'm going to continue to run it. And you're going to come in as a partner and you're going to help me accelerate it because you have expertise in what you're doing. Maybe you're, you're better at marketing, maybe you're a better product, and you're going to bring some cash to the table and we're going to really drive this company forward. Um, when you talk about acquisition, so that's basically when you're selling at least 51 shares, you know, control of the business. Sometimes, you know, typically you might step away and you're no longer operating the business and the new uh, person takes over. And then the last one, which is, you know, um, on the, the VC route is when you're looking to raise capital, you're staying as the founder, you want to sell uh, a smaller share of your company uh, for future potential. So you need accelerated, you know, uh, capital at this point that you have a, a plan of how you're going to accelerate the, the growth for. And that's where you, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about VC capital, um, you have to look at it that you have to be able to show hockey stick growth. So you probably heard of that term before where, You've, you've got to be able to show how you can take that money and really, you know, accelerate uh, the return on that because the VCs are expecting super high growth if you're, if you're, if you're going to pitch that, that idea. All right. No, I think that's a great explanation and helpful run through. So thank you. So now back to where you were going, which is okay. You guys are saying, 
if I were to summarize it, you take 20 to 30% as the position where the company is at least established or up and going a bit. And now they're looking to either accelerate that growth a bit and, you know, to have someone come in and take a minority stake that uh, give them some either money so that they can, you know, compensate themselves or more likely money to grow the business. So they're looking to say, okay, how do we position ourselves to do that? So what's the kind of those, what should they be thinking about? Should they be thinking about doing it in the first place? When are you, when is a good reason to think about it? When are bad reasons to think about it? And if you are a good candidate, when is the, what, is, how should you position yourself? And I know there's like four or five questions in there. So as much as you can hit on would be great. Sure. Sure. I think you've mentioned something really important. And that's the question that people are thinking, should I be raising money? But like, ask yourself that raise, like, this is a point. It's super important. Make sure you're only raising what you actually need. So think of, you know, if it's your own money, right? If you have extra capital, if you have too much money in your account, what happens? You become inefficient. You don't, you know, you decide looking for things to spend on and you just don't manage it as well. Right. So don't go say, you know, I heard this before we're going to go out to market and I'm going to raise anywhere between 3 million and 10 million depends on the, on what the market says. So what I, what I suggest is you actually come up with real numbers first, like do an assessment of your cost for what you'll need for say the next 18 months. So you have an idea, right? Like we want to build this product. This product is going to cost us, you know, we'll need three engineers. We'll need a, a product manager. We're going to need a designer. We're going to need to do some conferences. We're going to do some marketing budget. And you have kind of a high level idea, you know, you know, and then maybe add like a 10 or 20% buffer from there. Right. Um, so, you know, use real numbers. Don't go out there and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a disrespect a little to investors too, for raising too much. And you see people, right. Like that, you know, blowing it on parties on, on expensive office. Don't make a difference. So now, so now, so, so now that those are the things you should, yeah. I, and I agree. I think that or, or one, one of the things you hit on, um, was that, you know, when you're raising money, don't just go out. It's not always good to go out and get as much money as possible or as much money as people are willing to give you in the sense that one, it, you're most of the time when you give up more or when you're taking more money, you're going to have to give up more equity Two, right. most of the time there, there's expectations that come along with the money. The more money you take, it does come with expectations that there's going to be return on that money and that's going to be used well. And so if you take $5 million when you only need three, then you either have $2 million sitting in the bank or you have to pick, and you're either giving up more equity, you're accruing more interest, you're having more expectations. And so I like the idea of first see whether you need it and what to what degree you need it. So now let's say I come up and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to make a number. I need $5 million. I took the, you know, this is our needs plus 10 or 20%. And I say, okay, we're looking to expand, to grow. We're wanting to sell off a, a minority stake. And so they come to you. What is a way that they should be positioning themselves such that they are successful or they're looking, they're ones that you would want to invest in or otherwise partner up with? Yeah. So the most, I think from there, once you know, kind of you have your numbers, the, the most important part to get the intention of an investor is getting your pitch deck right. Um, so just like think about, you know, applying for a job, right? That's your your resume, that's your CV for investors, right? Um, we actually have an article on your website if you want to check out, if you want, you need help with structuring that, you know, horizoncapital.com slash pitch deck. Um, but like I said, you know, decide why you want to raise there. You know, you mentioned different options, right? There's revenue-based financing, you can use debt. You can just stay bootstrapped. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if you insist, you know, you have that unicorn or you can show that, that, that growth. Um, I think it depends the different categories in. If you're in that very early stage where you're just like starting off and say, look, I have this idea. Um, you're selling at that point, the sale of that pitch is about you as the founder and the team and why they should invest in you and why you're the person that can tackle it. 
Okay, so let's say you're an accountant or maybe a lawyer and you're facing this problem over and over again. You have this technical expertise in legal and maybe you want to build a, pro a, a product that you've seen repeatedly with your clients, but you know, in the legal tech field. Um, you understand the product, you understand the field, you understand the clients, you understand the industry, the business. Um, but a mistake, what I'll see here is, do you have the technical expertise? So maybe you, what I'm talking about here is like the actually developing the code. If not, then you need to figure out how you're going to hire or partner with the CTO. Um, a mistake people make here a lot, I'll talk about, is like they'll go say, hey, I'm going to hire a team in India. I'm going outsource to them, outsource the idea to them. They're going to build it for me. It just doesn't work. I've seen this many, many times. You know, that you think just spending the money and, and handing it over to somebody is going to work. You know, you, you don't know how to manage the code. You know, if the code quality is there. Uh, and in the long run, no, it's going to cost you a lot is, more, right? No, and I, and I agree with you on that point. It's hard. I mean, even whether it's in India, whether it's in the U.S., if you don't have somebody that's a tech, or, you know, for lack of a better word, technical co-founder or a CTO or at least someone that's high up that can manage that, you don't know if you're overpaying, if you're getting a good product, if it's good code, if it has a lot of flaws, are they are taking too much time? Are they not taking enough time? Are they spending too much? And so all of those questions, if you've never been through it or don't have somebody that does or has been through it or knows what's going on, it's one where it, you may you may not, you can fail just on the merits, not because you don't work hard, not because you don't have a good idea, but because you don't have that background in order to manage that. Exactly, exactly. So um, you know, let's yeah. say you have the, the technical, you know, CTO, co-founder, you know, you built the world's best team or, you know, at least in your mind, the world's best team. But a good sure. team and, and that, you know, that is definitely important. What are some other things that you should be in the position yourself? Okay. So you have your, your CV, your pitch deck, right? You've got your product, you've got your team, you're ready to go out. You know how much, exactly how much you need. Um, now think about when you're, same thing. I'll, I'll, I'll keep using this analogy of, you know, looking for a job or maybe dating or, you know, your partner, uh, you're choosing your boss. Um, do you have a good cultural fit with the investors? Not all money is the same. So don't think, uh, you can go out and raise from any investor that's willing to invest in with you. See if you have that kind of cultural fit with them. So let's say you, you, you send it out to, you know, 50 different or hundred different investors and you now start talking with 10 of them. It's just like, you know, you went out for 10 interviews and you now you get to decide, okay, I really like this company. I really like what they're doing. I believe in what their product, I really liked the person I spoke to, what the, how they behave. Um, you know, do you get along with them? Do you want to spend time with them? Would you go for, you know, coffee, a beer? Would you have dinner with them? Um, because remember, you're going to be tied to this person for the next five or 10 years. So, you know, I've done this before, even myself, right? Where I've raised capital from the wrong investor and I, it's going to be a lot more headache than it's worth. Okay. So think about the cultural fit, make sure you actually want to work with them. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, if you're thinking, okay, now I have, let's say I narrow it down. I really like these three or four, maybe look at what is their domain expertise, right? Like, do they have connections in this field are they experts in this field have they done it before because they can help you with with hiring in the future they can help you with making better decisions on your product on marketing because uh, you're going to have a lot of issues as you you know as your journey right that's part of the the game as part of the get through that um you know that's something you want to look no and i think that that definitely is a important... sense? yep no that, i think that's that's definitely insightful yeah. makes sense. so now yeah. as we so so let's say now we're going to shift gears just slightly. And so you've now, you've gone and you've raised the money you need. You've got the product, you're doing well. You've been out in the marketplace for a few years and saying, okay, mm -hmm. I don't plan on being with this business for, for the next 30 years. I eventually want to retire or I want to go into the next idea or I want to do something else. And so now I want to be acquired. So now, you know, opposite side of getting investors to get a company up and going or to grow it. Now you're saying, I want to make an exit. 
what do you then do to position yourself for an act to be an acquisition target, which is kind of the opposite side, which is also what a lot of times investors eventually are thinking of, hey, that we're setting this up so it's a unicorn or they'll be acquired or there'll be merger or acquisitions or an IPO or some exit event. And so if you're saying, hey, I want you to set myself up for acquisition target, what should they be thinking about? So a couple of things like I look for if I'm looking for an acquisition, one is really like growth opportunity, right? So, you know, the problem we see with people, they come to us when their company is kind of flat, they've kind of, or maybe they're starting to decline, right? That's not attractive for investors like, yes, hey, but we're doing this and we, we you can, all you have to do is this and grow it. But if it was that simple, you probably would have already done it, right? Um, is it a growing market? So like, is the market growing in which the, 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 the demand, is there demand for this? Is, is it going to continue to grow? Is it just a kind of a one-time fad? And, you know, th- it doesn't matter how much marketing, how much we improve the product. This is just a shrinking market. So we like growing markets. And then is there quick wins that we can apply? Um, so same thing on the growth side. So those two sides on the growth, growing market, and then growth of the actual business. And then it's really about risk assessment for us. So we look at, we have like a hundred plus, plus, you know, point checklist. Uh, we recreate like a scorecard out of 100 of how we like this business. And we'll just kind of rank, okay, product, uh, design, the team, uh, the marketing, the growth. Look at all these, you know, LTV and CAC ratios, all these kind of fancy numbers. Um, but, you know, really, I want to see growth in, in revenue. I want to see growth in users. I want to see sticky clients who love the product. So typically for us, like, we're not product people as, as good as we are uh, marketing people. So we love founders, technical co-founders who come to us and say, look, I've built this great product. I've spent the last five, seven years building it and I've grown organically and I focus on building the best product ever, but I just haven't, I haven't spent anything on marketing. I just haven't had to. And I, I really don't know. That's not my expertise and I don't enjoy it really. Um, so they come to us and that's where we, you know, that's our, our partnership, our value add. We come in and we know what works for your market, for your product. And we just really kind of add fuel to that fire. Um, and you'll see that, right? Like when sticky clients who stick, you'll, you'll see that higher LTV. So that's lifetime value, how long a client sticks around. You'll see lower churn. So churn is, you know, how, how fast are your, your clients turning over? Um, so are they canceling? Are they leaving you every, every few months? You know, there's something wrong. They don't enjoy it. Um, and the last thing is like growth and the management, management shouldn't depend on the owner. So we've seen this as well, right? Like you're the owner, you, you are the business. And so many of your relationships and your clients are dependent on you. That's actually a risk for us because uh, it's tied to one person and not the business. And if we, we're taking over, we don't want to have that kind of risk of like, you know, once you leave, the client's going to leave with you or that, you know, it was all completely based on that relationship. Um, so we, we can add that. We also add into that as like, you know, let's say 30% of your revenue is considered a risk that comes from one client. So try to spread out you know, how your client base looks like that you have that kind of, uh, you know, buffer so that if one client leaves, you're not, you know, left with half the revenue. And we can do things in, in kind of the structure when we've done that before, where let's say like 40 or 50% of the revenue comes from one client. And we'll say, okay, we're going to pay an earnout on that amount. So we'll pay you, okay, uh, 100% on this 50% of revenue, because this is spread around, you know, 50 different clients. Uh, but this one huge enterprise clients is just way too risky for us because if they leave in the next year or two, we're going to lose all the re- revenue. And we will, as long as they stick around for the next year and they continue to pay and be clients, sure, we'll pay you the remainder uh, out of your of the valuation we prepared. But the problem from us is like, okay, that's nice. We didn't pay for it, but what happens if they do leave, right? If the client leaves, uh, now you're you're stuck with a company that's doing half the revenue, right? It's like, yeah, even though you didn't pay for it, but you still have to you know manage this thing and you have half the revenue to manage, half the money to grow, half the man, uh, money to work, you know, manage your team. So they have to look at things like cutting costs, 
you know, spending less on marketing, less on growth, and it just becomes an ugly situation for, for everybody. So if I were to maybe try and attempt to summarize that, correct me where I'm wrong, there's a couple of things. One is you're looking for growth. You're looking for increase in revenue. In other words, you're on an upward trajectory, you know, upward trajectory for acquisition. And then you're also looking for diversity. They don't have, you know, maybe one or two big clients and that if those one or two clients leave or, you know, they go under or they get a, or, you know, they go somewhere else, but that uh, takes away from the business. So diversity, good or good growth, good management, and, you know, I'm sure a good product or good business um, are some of the things you're looking for for acquisition. So now we're going to switch, you know, switch gears just a little bit. And one of the other things we talked about is SaaS companies. And it seems like everybody is trying to be a SaaS company in the sense that, you know, you're wanting that reoccurring revenue. So for those of the audience, if you haven't thought of before, SaaS company is often or software as a service, which basically means rather than paying, you know, if you're to think back 20, you know, 20, 15, 20 years, you to buy software, you buy it out of, you go in, you buy the box, you get it on the CD or the jump drive or whatever, you load it on your computer and that's it. You use it for the next, or however many long, unless you need to upgrade, then you don't need to. Now everybody's wanting to be a service company where you pay that monthly reoccurring revenue where it's a steady income stream where you're not always having the pressures of upgrading or you're having a, a foundational base of customers. And so a lot of companies are now saying SaaS is the model because now we can have that reoccurring revenue and it's easier to grow and to scale and to reinvest and everything else. So question on that is if you, when should you be a SaaS company? When shouldn't you be a SaaS company? When should you be thinking about shifting or pivoting to a SaaS company? Kind of how would you tackle that for different businesses? Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll just add one point to the last one, just to give you a quick scenario. So VC versus how we do it. Uh, two things you mentioned was growth and revenue. Uh, like we're, we like companies kind of flat doing 10 or 15% year over year growth. Like we're happy with 10, 20, 30%. VCs are expecting 100, 200% year over year, you know, 10, 15% month over month. So growth is going to be a completely different ballgame and you're going to get a lot more money and valuation based on that. Second thing is going to be your, your cash flow. Um, we're looking for break even or positive cash flow versus a VC. They're happy with, you know, companies burning 20, 30, 50, 100 grand a month as long as they're growing the top line and, you know, looking at the future. So just something to look at as well and think about how you position your, your company. Um, in terms of switching and kind of how to get started to SaaS. So I actually see this many people switching over to SaaS who've built, I'll say, you know, maybe in your field, fantastic service-based business. And nothing against, I actually absolutely love service-based business because the high cash flow, they're easier to start. But the one thing they'll find after years of years of kind of grinding, clients leave, they come back, you know, you know, different products, they ask for different things, things evolve, but it's harder to scale and manage. You need, you know, you always need more people. Every time you need to grow, you need to add more people, um, you know, things move and you, you know, on and off and, you, you know, your costs are kind of managing that is kind of becomes a pain and people just get kind of burnt down to that, that, that model. And obviously there's a little bit less margins because, you know, you have people to kind of uh, look after that. Um, and like I said, if you're thinking about that, like moving to SaaS, think about what you're an expert already. Look at what you're already working on to solve and the problems that are coming up repeatedly in your day-to-day -day. Um, and, and, and then start thinking, right? Like if I, if I want to build a SaaS, like start asking your clients that, right? Like ask your client, what is a problem you're looking to solve? Or what, what's a, is this a problem that you're seeing repeatedly? And would they be willing to pay for a solution here? I think that's kind of a simpler way to get into it. Um, so that's one way you can go and start interviewing people around you in your industry and start building a, a solution for them. Um, the other way you can do is actually go out and work for a SaaS startup. So go find a startup that you, you really enjoy, maybe want to get in that world, learn, you know, whatever you're good at, if you're in product, if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, it doesn't matter, get your foot in the door, learn the, the environment, learn how it's done, 
what, what it takes to kind of build a SaaS and be in that part of that growth. Um, or the third option is actually, you know, kind of do what we're doing is buying an existing established SaaS startup. So there's a lot of companies, even micro SaaS out there that, you know, pretty small companies. So instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go spend a hundred grand and build this product that, you know, some of my customers said they might like and they'll pay and I'm going to lose, you know, lose money for a couple of years, but hopefully, you know, grow in the future. There's companies out there who've, who've already built something, maybe have some product market fit or they've actually built the code there. Um, and they have some revenue, they have some clients, but they just want to sell. And you can kind of come in at a little bit later stage than um, where, where they, they have already built to. Mm. No, I think that that definitely all makes sense. Now, one quick or one po- or follow-up question. We are reaching towards the end of the podcast, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it is, you know, there's, let's take or some of the companies out there that maybe aren't necessarily traditionally SaaS companies, you know, whether it's a plumber, whether it's a landscaper, whether it's, you know, other blue collar jobs, or whether it's, you know, even a law firm, most law firms are you know, reoccurring. They have clients that maybe bring work back, but it's not a reoccurring revenue where it's, hey, every month you're going to pay me so much. And there's a little bit of shift to it, but whatever the industry is, there's a lot of ones that are traditionally not there. Should you be, is it, should you be looking if you're in those industries as a way to set yourself up as a SaaS? You know, just as a matter of course, should it be, as you mentioned, to only if it makes sense or kind of, if you're saying, hey, I'd love to have that reincurring revenue. I'd love to set myself up to have that customer base, to have that diversity, set myself up for acquisition. Should you be, is it fitting a, a you know, square peg in a round hole? Or are there opportunities that people should be looking, looking at to shake up traditional industries that haven't done that to begin to kind of have that first mover advantage? hundred percent. And I think we're seeing that more and more happening with different service businesses. So that's called, yeah, I think that we call that productized services. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've managed, that was a company I managed before called $99 social. So that was the, the kind of whole business model is, you know, you pay $99 a month and you get, you know, social media posts seven days a week for your business. Um, and I love them. The, the thing is with that over code. So with code, you have to write code. Um, you sell the product and the code does all the backward back work for you, right? It's running overnight 24 seven to give you what, you know, the service or product uh, with productized service, you really have to have really, really good systems and processes and you have to be really defined. So I think, you know, be defined in your product and, you know, one thing that you're doing really, really well repeatedly and that somebody's willing to pay it's recurring value. So people think I want to build uh, recurring revenue, which is nice, but uh, which is actually a lot better. So even from an investment perspective, we love recurring revenue. We don't like, you know, one time, uh, annual payments, those are nice too, but th- those are, you know, it doesn't, it's, you don't have that recurring cash flow that you can predict of what's going to look like and, and how things are going to change with the business. Um, so I think it is actually a good middle ground. If you're, you know, service business and you don't want to shift directly to SaaS and build a product, I think the productized service is happening. You see that in cleaning, you see that in, you know, those different blue collar businesses. And I, I would highly recommend everybody to try that for sure. No, and, I, and I'd agree. And I think that, you know, oftentimes and I'll, I'll take to the, just because I'm in the legal industry, you know, you, you get in certain industries that people say, oh, well, it's always been done that way. Yeah, everybody else can do it that way, but we can't do it because we're a different type of a thing. And it's interesting how often you really find that if you were to look at the industry, there's a lot of opportunities to shake it up, to do something different. And don't do it, do it just for the sake of being different, but look and say, where is the, in, where is the industry headed? What can be done? Should, you know, how can I take advantage of that? And how can I, rather than just do a traditional way, we're doing it the traditional way, because that's the best way or just because that's always how it can be done. And I think there's a lot of industries they'll continue to shift to be SaaS products or at least, you know, service products where you're having that revenue because it makes it so that it's a more sustainable business. So I think that that definitely makes sense. 
especially with the older especially with the older industries right where like there's a, a way of doing things and there's an old you know uh thinking mentality around it like oil and gas you know legal i'm sure it's just everything is so uh bureaucratic i think there's just a lot more opportunities in those spaces as well so i think i think that's definitely correct so well as we wrap up and there's always so many more things on that i'd love to chat about that we never have time so sometime we'll have to have you back on and chat some more but at least for this episode as we wrap up I always like to end the, uh, the episode with one question, which is, you know, I have my different questions for the normal or for the normal uh, inventive journey episodes with the expert episodes. Always like to, you know, kind of focus it on what we just discussed. And so, with that, if if people were to say, okay, you know, we talked about a lot of things about how to set myself up for investment, how to set myself up for acquisitions, should I be a SaaS company? A lot of great things to cover, but I can't do it all at once. And I can, if I could only pick one thing, if there's only one thing I should get started on if you're talking now to somebody that's in the startup or small business maybe they're just getting started or they've been established for a bit of time they could choose kind of one thing to get going on what would that one thing be or what would you recommend that one thing being uh, i think it's on, on on what the problem you're solving so think about you know before thinking about the money thinking about investors thinking what's the product you really want to solve um, and, you know, make sure there's demand there. So that's at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, you know, product is there, there's a market for it and, you know, get that nailed down and have your data, have everything kind of, uh, you know, researched and prepared, be, be prepared. And, uh, and I think you'll, you'll do well from there. All right. So if I were to summarize it, figure out what the problem you're solving is, figure out if there's demand and then go to work. Get to work, man. Get to work today. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast. You had a lot of great knowledge. Now people have additional questions, whether it's, Hey, they want to reach out to you. They want to get more information. They want to pitch you an idea. They want to see if you'll invest in their company. They want to get feedback on pitch decks. They want to be an employee. They want to be, they want to join your company. They want to invest in your company. If they can't invest, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. <laughs> What's the best way to reach out, contact you or find out more. Sure. So we also have a, a podcast called SAS District. So you guys can look that up on YouTube or any of the, the podcast directories. Uh, otherwise, just reach out Horizon Capital, H-O-R-I-Z-E-N, capital.com. You can reach out or directly to me on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. You can find me at Akil Jabbar. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out in one or more of the ways that you just uh, mentioned. Uh, definitely a wealth of knowledge and a great expertise to, uh, and appreciate you sharing that. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you either have your own expertise to share or you'd like to be a guest and share your journey, feel free to go to Inventive Guests and apply to be on the podcast. Two more things as listeners. Um, one, make sure to uh, click subscribe in your podcast player to know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so other people can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us. Just go to strategymeeting.com and are always here to help. Thank you again, Akil, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much, Devin. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely.